Welcome to the China Business Law Podcast, a show about the practice of law in China from real in-house and law firm professionals on the ground. Welcome everybody to another episode of China Business Law Podcast.、Uh, I'm your host Art Dicker. I'm joined today by Leslie Lagorner. She's managing partner at Beijing office of Morgan Lewis. Leslie, welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. And、uh, I'm excited about this because today we're going to talk about、um, employment law in China,、um, and particularly、uh, a lot of my questions are around、um, termination cases.、Um, China, we're going to get into it, but China labor law is very different from what people are used to outside of、uh, China, especially in the U.S. So I think for a lot of people, this is going to be,、uh, which, which know something about China, have an interest in China, this will be、uh, very useful for them. So I'm happy to have. So happy you can join, Leslie. Great, thanks. So let's get into it.、Um, if you can maybe just give us a sense of the typical kinds of cases you see here that come up again and again, relating to、um, termination disputes, employee disputes in general with their companies. Sure. So most of the disputes that we see,、um, which are going to result in termination or where the client wants to terminate the relationship, tend to be around serious misconduct.、Mm. Um, and then there are other performance issues,、um, and then finally layoffs or downsizing. Okay, and within those,、um, I'm sure some of those kinds of cases can tend to be more difficult and protracted than others. And how does a, how, from a company's perspective,、um, how what's a good approach, and what's kind of a haphazard approach that you see often? I imagine a lot of times clients come to you. When something's already in process, right, or something that the, the train has left the station a little bit figuratively. So,、right. how how do you deal with those kind of cases? So there are times that we ask the client to just pause, you、yeah. stop the train in its tracks where、yeah. it is,、um, and bear with us,、um, be patient, and let us set up、um, the situation for a cleaner termination、okay. or for an easier termination. Um, there are so many things that factor into it.、Um, is the employee On a fixed-term contract or an open-ended contract, was there serious misconduct? And if there was, is is it more important to exit the employee immediately?、Mm. You know, to basically cut out the cancer,、mm. um, and or is there、uh, time to really look at what happened? And do we need to investigate? And so, do we put the person out on leave?、Like、garden、um, garden leave is it called? It,、yeah. Paid leave, paid right? Leave, yeah. Right. Yeah.、Um, So there's so much that goes into it. We need to understand the background of who is this employee, what are the circumstances for why the exit should take place, and what documentations there, what has already、mm. been done. So in a performance issue, for example, you know we'll get the call.、Um, this person needs to be exited in the next few days, and then we ask about well, what documentation is there? Well, the manager really just doesn't think the person's performing, or、right. we want to exit the bottom ten percent or twenty percent. And in the U.S. That's fine, exactly. Right? Yeah, but doesn't I, work here. It doesn't work here. It's not、yeah. at will.、Right. So the issue is we have to have a statutory ground,、mm-hmm. and the statutory grounds are are rigid. There there is flexibility, and I think that's where I, you know our expertise comes in. We're finding the flexibility within that rigidity.、Mm-hmm. So figuring out how to encourage someone to leave, how to make the、um, the termination less risky for a company. I mean that's that's the basically the the secret sauce so to speak、mm. for for where we come in,、um, but it does take time and patience、um, and a little bit of documentation along the way. And 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 
speaking about documentation, you know, a lot of companies have, I think, really good policies, employee handbooks and so forth, which they can point to um, as a potential reason for um, the employee to exit. But I often, I think there's, it's also sometimes quite rare that you have such a clean and clear reason for the termination, right? So how, how do these cases actually play out when, when so often there may not be such a crystal clear legal grounds for their, clean legal grounds for, for, for a, a termination case? So it really depends on what the what the issue is. So let's say if it's performance, yeah. if there is no job description, for example, and the employee is saying, well, I've done everything I'm supposed to and I've operated at a, a fine standard, it's just this new boss who's yeah. giving me new standards. You've given me great evaluations before, you right. said nothing was wrong. Right, and now all of a sudden there's a problem. Then it's a matter of uh, understanding exactly what the issue is and then figuring out is there a way we can talk with this individual um, or the company can talk with that individual, and then in that case, generally offering money is is going to be the way to mm. to, to basically sweeten the exit and make the employee realize there's no future with the company. In a ser- in a case of serious misconduct, it's a little bit different, where we need to understand what the policy is, mm. and sometimes again, the conduct doesn't always fit neatly into what the policy says, or the policy didn't go through a consultation process, or that employee didn't sign off on, mm. on the consultation. So then it's a question of figuring out how best to play that back to the employee. And sometimes, you know, we recommend that the company simply, um, pay, you know, reach a mutual agreement and pay the employee to exit. So even when it's cases of uh, misconduct, um, even even egregious misconduct, um, sometimes it's, is it still in the company's interest even though it's a bit of a moral hazard, is it still in the company's interest just to pay the person to leave effectively? From a China perspective, yes. Okay. And, and that is one of the hardest hurdles sometimes to get over. So sometimes there are companies that, from a principled perspective, they want this person out and they want that person terminated, mm-hmm. you know, involuntarily No terminated. severance, no compensation, anything. No, no notice, no severance, no compensation out today because, okay. of, because of the conduct that we've uncovered. We come in and basically I think our, our, our greatest asset to a client is to give you the assessment of risk. Mm-hmm. And if, for example, the evidence is not clear or the evidence is going to be embarrassing or problematic mm-hmm. or the evidence simply isn't there from a China perspective and it's a very high evidentiary burden, yeah. then you know our suggestion is, look, maybe the best thing you can do is get this person out of the company with as least risk as possible knowing that the evidence is not strong. Mm. And so sometimes we'll recommend, look, you know, even though you want to take the principled approach and terminate unilaterally, in this case, we think you should pay the person, reach an agreement, and then you have no risk, mm. essentially. So it really depends on the facts. It's very case-specific. Mm. Um, the issue is if you terminate unilaterally and the employee comes back, they could seek reinstatement. Mm-hmm. And that is that has been. I common. want my job back. Yeah. yeah, I want my job back, and I'm coming back, and I'm going to fight. And it's not about the money; yeah. it's about the principle. You terminated me wrongfully. Yeah. And we do have some of those. We've seen some of those. Um, and generally speaking, if that's the individual, then there may be ways to defeat that. But there also may be ways that the company might say, you know what, we're not in it for the long haul. We're just going to pay the person and have them leave, and then at least. The, the company's interest is protected from a safety interest. Now, it does create the moral hazard. Mm. It does create some dangerous precedent. Right. But, 
but it is something. <laughs> so, so if you could ballpark, I, this is going to be almost impossible to ball, ballpark, but let's say typically in a case where an employee tends to dig in their heels, whether it's, and maybe you can differentiate between performance cases versus misconduct cases, but typically when an employee just kind of digs in their heels, how often do you think would a, would a company that you've worked with kind of go above and beyond their, their, let's say they have a standard severance amount for kind of easy cases. And then there's that precedent that they might set if they, if they have a really difficult employee that they, that they want to terminate. How often do they exceed that sort of go up and, and, and just get rid of the person uh, at almost, you know, who cares what the precedent is that we're setting, like you said, in it for the, not so much the long term. On the one hand, versus uh, uh, companies really sticking to, no, we've never gone above 2x um, the statutory severance payment amount and be damned, we're going to arbitration. You know, how, do, how do companies usually come out on that kind of a case when, internally? Yeah, I think it really depends on the nature of the misconduct and if mm -hmm. there is some type of regulatory issue in the background. Mm. So as an example, if there's, you know, a, a US uh, FCPA investigation, for example, in the background, okay. then getting this person in China out because of the risk and because the regulator is going to look at how quickly you exited that person, then there may be more tolerance um, to pay more. At the mm. same time, that's something that's might get disclosed to the regulators. Right. So there's a, there's a balance there. And I think that's where it's understanding the risk of reinstatement, yeah. understanding the risk in going to arbitration or going to court where the evidence is going to get disclosed, mm. um, where it is generally a public proceeding. Media could show up if the employee calls the media, which we've had had them threaten to do as, a, as leverage over the process. So it really depends. Um, every company has their own kind of... Um, risk tolerance yeah. and it depends if they've got a high risk tolerance or a very low risk tolerance so it's hard to say generally what companies do so employees really know uh, i found really know their rights under under chinese labor law especially since the labor contract law was revised in 2008 and it's really difficult they know it's really difficult to terminate employees for performance reasons um how does this complicate cases that you're you're working on where the employee you know, maybe the employee is reciting provisions of the labor contract law back to back to you and back to the company and, and, and say, show me where what I did wrong. Right. Right. How do you deal with those kind of cases? Is there any other way to deal with those cases other than just give them a higher severance? So I think part of it is understanding the full situation with that employee. Um, you know, for example, is the employee not going to get a bonus or a commission because they're not making their targets? And is that a huge part of their their compensation? Mm -hmm. And if it is, then it's really not the right place for them to remain. And mm -hmm. so some of it is about talking with the employee and making them realize, look, your best bet is taking a package and leaving mm -hmm. and going somewhere where your earning power is going to be much stronger. Mm -hmm. That's part of it. The other part of it is understanding, uh, is the person on a fixed term contract? Yeah. And is it expiring soon? And in that case, um, we might be able to convince the employee to take some smaller lump sum now, which would be equivalent or less even um, mm. than what they would get paid out for the next, let's say, you know, six months because their contract ends in six months, something mm. like that. And there's also, you know, um, 
something built into the law that's very helpful, mm. which is a cap on severance. Mm-hmm. And the cap is at three times the average wage in that location. Right. So in Beijing, it's about 30,000 renminbi, which is not even, it's not even 4,500 US right. uh, on, at current rates. And in Shanghai, it's about 26,000 renminbi. Mm. So using that, um, in Shenzhen, it's, it's about uh, 26, 27. So using that in those three very um, highly paid jurisdictions where the average wage is much higher means that we can then um, get the employee to understand that mm. even if they go to court, even if they challenge the company, and even if there's a finding of wrongful termination, if they're not reinstated, and we you know, certainly argue that reinstatement is not going to be possible if the mm. relationship has deteriorated, yeah. and that's recognized in some judicial precedent, then they're going to get a lot less yeah. because it's capped. And if they had much higher earning power, then maybe we can reach an agreement. So that's one way in which you get the resistant or the intransigent employee to recognize it's better to take a package and walk away, and then it's just about you know where the employee negotiates and saves space, right. and gets as much as they can in that negotiation. It's, and that, that 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 leads to my next question because so much of this I think is about face probably, and it's it's an emotional it's an emo being being let go is a very is an emotional experience, right? Yes. It's 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 directly at your you know targeted at your ego and and, and all that. So. How do you advise a client maybe that does actually come to you early uh, in the, before they've started uh, that train going down out of, the, out of the station? How do you advise them to prepare for a termination of an employee? If, um, you know, let's say we know three months from now, you know, this employee, you know, maybe we'll give them one more chance, but mm-hmm. how do you, how would you prep a company in an ideal situation for having to terminate an employee? So again, it depends on what the issue is and why. Um, so, you know, very simply, if it's a closure, which is the easiest way to mm. exit um, China and exit a company and exit the employees, um, you know, setting that up so that there is a process by which the employees understand the company is closing, leveling them with the issues, and then giving them an opportunity to leave early or if you need them to stay, and then there's some type of retention payment so that you do you know, gain their, their confidence and that they'll, they'll get this payment at the end. And so it's Mm. worth their while to stay. That type of thing is done. Um, if it's a performance issue, then it's about documentation Mm. and setting up, you know, um, those performance meetings and understanding if you want that person to turn around because you've invested in them, how we can best do that Mm. and how we can document the process to show the employee you're trying so that if they're still not able to, because they're simply not capable to, of keeping up or with a new business model or something has changed, then they recognize it as well. So yeah. almost like you know a hand-holding process so the employee starts to see the picture with you as, the, as management. Um, and then if it's serious misconduct, it's about the documentation um, and being able to obtain that documentation, whether it's in China or overseas, in a way that we can then present it to a court or an arbitration commission in a way that will be able to sustain the termination. So that's where it's, it's setting it up with the documentation that if we have that time, and sometimes it does take three months, um, you know, that we can do it cleanly, particularly if there might be another party involved that we need approval, say if it's, you know, if it's a labor dispatch worker, Mm -hmm. so we need to get the approval from the staffing agency, bringing them along the way with each step and showing them that we tried 
um, to basically have this employee comply or follow mm. instructions and the employee simply can't or won't. Um, and then we get the support for the termination and then it makes it much easier then. It's interesting. So if, if I heard you correctly, you, it's almost like in those two different kinds of cases, performance versus misconduct, you're having two different audiences for this kind of performance improvement plan. In the first case, I almost thought you were going to say the, you're, you're going through these performance improvement plans because you have to, so that you have something to point to as almost evidence, right, That's, that this person is incompetent for the role or whatever. But you're saying it's actually really more for the employee themselves to show you that you've genuinely tried to give them, give them a chance to come up to the standards that the company expects of them. And in the second case, it's, it's in misconduct, it's actually building evidence, building a trail of evidence. Um, so it's, it's interesting that, that you should do it no matter what, These, that's what you're saying, but sometimes for different purposes, different audiences. Yeah, no, I think that's right. And in a performance case, it is, it's for the company's benefit as well. Mm -hmm. And it does create an evidentiary um, basis on which to terminate. But it is far harder to sustain a termination for for failure to perform. Right. Um, and in, in China, it's it basically it's incompetence. That's yeah. the word in the law. So it's far harder to build the case for that, particularly if there's not years of history. Mm. And if there's years of history, why have you kept this employee on? Yeah, I mean, isn't the company a bit incompetent for having this employee <laughs> in the first place, right? Or for keeping them on when yeah. they haven't been competent for so long. So. Right. So it is, um, it's as much about opening the door to a discussion with the employee as yeah. it is to create the evidence if you do have to eventually terminate for failure to perform. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I think you gain more credibility in, in the process with the employee um, where they see as well that you're not just setting them up, that you're actually you know, trying to create a situation where they can improve. Mm -hmm. um, and they can, and maybe it is you can keep them in the same position if it's a performance issue, or you can move them to a new position and see how they do in that position. Mm -hmm. And that's another way that maybe you can show the employee we're trying to rehabilitate the situation, but it's simply not working. So in these kind of cases, when you mention the we of the company, who, who um, particularly in a, in a multinational company context, um, let's say let's take a case where you have a local employee and the manager is outside of China. Um, how who is the right messenger to, to 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 first deliver and then be involved in this discussion with the employee, building up towards an eventual termination decision? You must have all kinds of logistical challenges, time zones to deal with, different understandings of what it's like, especially if it's a U.S. headquartered company. You said it's at will, right? How who is who? How does a company best coordinate that process for for a kind of a cross border um, termination case? So I think there needs to be someone on the ground as part of that process, whether mm -hmm. that there is local HR or some other manager, mm -hmm. um, someone else in 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 uh, a senior management position, or at least mid level management, depending on the employee involved. And then I think the direct supervisor, regardless of where that person is, okay. should be involved. Um, that's the way that the company is going to buy credibility. Um, I think the hardest cases are where there is no a local HR and the manager is offshore. And then it's a question of how do you convince this employee that it's actually, there is no position in the company where the employee can, mm. can perform and that the evaluation has been that the employee is, is to be terminated because there isn't someone trustworthy around and they have to have that um, to really buy into the, the decision. So I mm -hmm. think that that's always part of the process or should be part of the process. Direct manager, if possible, 
um, or and someone else on the ground. Mm. There's certainly room for tag team, I think, mm. in any jurisdiction. Um, mm. I think a softer approach here generally is is um, better in most cases. But again, I'm going to give you that the lawyer response, which everyone hates. It depends. Yeah. It's really case specific and fact specific. If there has been severe misconduct and it really has created risk for the company, mm. then you know if someone is not getting that message, then I think it needs to be delivered in a more forceful okay. um, way. If it's really about performance and the person just can't adapt to a new model, for example, there's a new sales model and the person just can't adapt, then I think it's a softer approach and it's, you know, we want to give you a, an easier transition period. We want to give you an easy, easy landing. Mm. So we're going to, you know, um, give you an enhanced package, but, and we hope that you understand it's just not working out here, that type yeah. of thing. Um, so it really depends on what the basis is for the depends termination. On, it depends on the employee and themselves. Too, and the right? employee, yeah. yeah. What's their personality like? And is there someone who can deliver that? Right. So we've had cases where um, the immediate manager and the, and the employee at issue don't get along. Something has happened and now there's such tension in the relationship mm. where the manager says, I, I just, I can't deal anymore, right? Mm. This person has to go. And the discussions are not advancing and HR is interjected and sometimes it helps and sometimes it smooths things. But at the end of the day, there's intransigence. The employee is like, I'm not accepting anything. We've had a situation where someone senior has come in, whether it's a regional HR manager, a new senior HR director, or someone high up in the company who has come in and basically given that person a little bit of respect. Look, I understand how difficult this is. I understand it's not working out, but this is your manager. And your mm. manager's not going anywhere. Mm. So let's let's think of a way where we can create a, a you know compromise and a good situation for you to be able to leave. You can resign and then, you know, and we'll give you a package. Mm. And that has been successful, I would say, in 99% of the cases okay. where you have someone else who's not as close to the facts, not as emotional, and it's really, it's just an arm's length business like transaction. Like an honest broker. Yeah, basically. exactly. Yeah. But it's giving that the employee that, that, um, that respect and, and basically empathy. Because mm. it is difficult. Anytime anyone's being exited, mm -hmm. regardless of who you are, how senior, how junior, how long you've been with the company, or even how short. So it's not like that George Clooney movie up in the air where it's, he just goes, that's his job to, right? Yeah. No, I've, I've done it. My, I've, I've been in those, those situations myself and it's not easy. Usually by the time they get legal involved, in, internal legal, it's, it's already a pretty, pretty bad situation. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, I think that that helps a lot. And it's just, it's remembering that again, this is someone who might simply just want someone to talk to them on their level mm. and hear some of their issues and then we'll go quietly with the package. Okay. I've been appreciative of how you've been able to help guide us to um, really wrap our heads around what the risk actually is in making a decision on, on the analysis that you give us. How are you able to do that? So thank you for that. Um, <laughs> I think it's the background that I have in litigation. Mm. Um, and everything was about risk assessment and everything with, with every question at every deposition and with every you know, uh, trial prep session, it was how does this play before a jury? Mm -hmm. So how does it affect the company and what is the jury's view or the judge's view, that jurist, how will they view the company with this question and this answer? 
And then that's how I think of all of my advice is giving that advice. How do you implement it in a way that the company looks positive or will the company look negative? Will, will it have um, backlash? It, um, is there a lot of risk if you go this way? But, or is there, you know, or is, does the law suggest that you can't do it this way, but the risk is so low because mm. the chance of a claim is so low? That's, that's the way that I look at everything. So it's, I think it's from having a litigation background okay. um, and trying very difficult cases when I was um, a very junior lawyer. And sometimes the position was we're not settling and you've got to represent the client and it was going to be a million dollar, multi-million dollar um, settlement or, right. or um, verdict. But the settlement demand was just so high, we went to trial. Mm. And that was when I worked for, um, for the city of New York. So I think that background has instilled in me a way to look at things a little more holistically. Okay. And again, everything through the lens of risk. And, and, I, and, and that's, what I, that's what I meant, I think, with the question was, was um, the risk is, um, can be very hypothetical and risk can be very real. Right. right? And I think that that's... The, the lawyers that I've always worked with, um, uh, I've tried to be that way myself, which is, you know, give, give, give advice where you actually can speak, speak your mind a little bit. I mean, for in-house counsel, you're paid to do that. But I always appreciate an external outside counsel who is able to use their, all of their accumulated experience and all of the cases they've seen for other clients and actually give a real assessment. Of the risk, not a hypothetical. So, because the easy, the easy path out, of course, is to just give a hypothetical. You know, these are the scenarios that could happen, yeah. and stop there. Right. The best advice I've always gotten is where you go a step further and say, "But I don't think these two first two cases are very likely to happen." Or, "Here's how you might be able to manage it if those cases happen." And that I think just comes from experience. And so, the best outside counsel that I've worked with before, like you, are able to offer that next level of assessment on the risk. Um, well, I think when I, when I do give advice, and particularly when there is risk involved, is I always think of how is it going to, how is it going to come back to me, mm -hmm. right? So if I give you the advice of, yes, you can terminate, and this is the way it's going to go, and then it doesn't go that way, I always think, well, that's going to come back on me. So mm -hmm. it's about giving the, a good assessment and also a practical assessment because at the end of the day, it might be more important to break the law, in other mm. words, not have a statutory ground to terminate and have a wrongful termination case, but get that person out of the organization. Mm. So a lot of my, a lot of what I do is look at the goal of the company, and I will ask that: What is your goal? Is your goal here is to get that person out quickly? We can do that, mm. and there might be less risk or more risk depending on the situation. If the goal is to get that person out in time and we set it up properly, well then that's a different situation. Mm -hmm. And so I think part of it also is, is understanding the risk, but also thinking about what's the goal of the client. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's the same thing in an M&A case, not just a termination case, is, is the goal to keep everyone afterwards um, that you want the people, right. or is the goal the IP, for example, or the equipment, right. um, or the, just the product? And understanding that might be a way that we assess, you know, the due diligence and how much due diligence mm. and where you focus on. And so I think it's it's those two things, the risk and the goal mm. um, for the client. 
Makes sense. Yeah. And but it's, but it's, it's, it's not easy to do in, in real life, I think, and whether you're external counsel or internal counsel. Um, let's finish up on a fun question. So um, uh, you and I are both expats here um, in China. We've both been here many, many years. What keeps you, what keeps you going here? What keeps, you, what, what keeps making China exciting for you and an interesting place to practice law? So I think it's the, it's the challenge. Mm -hmm. um, one is uh, the challenge and the uncertainty, mm -hmm. right? And I know for lawyers, that's the last thing you want to hear is uncertainty. But I mm -hmm. never know what's going to come in my inbox overnight. Mm -hmm. I never know what the true situation is when we're asked to look at something and whether it's the tip of the iceberg or whether we are seeing the whole picture um, and how things play out and the way the law is enforced unevenly and the energy here... Um, all of that keeps me here, you know, and I'm going on 14 years now. Mm. So it's it's been a very exciting place to practice, and I've gotten involved in so many different issues that I would not have had exposure to if I had uh, remained, for example, as a litigator in the U.S. Sometimes it's a little too too cut and dry in the U.S., right? There's there's a, there's a clear answer for for most situations, and and China is kind of a little more a lot more gray area, and right. but that can be make it interesting too, right? Yeah, the the risk assessment becomes that much more important mm -hmm. because the the gray line, you know, the line between black and white, what is acceptable and what's not, might be so wide mm -hmm. you could drive you know a truck through it, <laughs> <laughs> or it might be so narrow that it's so clear, but someone's coming really close to the line, and how do you assess that, yeah. and how do you advise a client where they they're very risk adverse, for example, and they're a foreign client, which is it's a whole other it's a different kind of risk assessment to work just back in the U.S. Let's say exactly. Yeah. So that's what makes it you know, really exciting. And then it's the cross-border aspect. Yeah. You know, there might be U.S. laws at play, it might be Chinese laws at play, or it might even be another country's, you know, a third mm -hmm. country's laws at play as well. And so all of that makes it, you know, like the craziest law exam questions ever. And I, I love but that. that makes, yeah, I, I, I'm with you on that. Absolutely. Yeah, it makes it more interesting. Exactly. Thank you, Leslie, for joining us today. Um, it was a fantastic uh, discussion. I know our audience is really going to appreciate it. And I really want to thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Art. It's been a pleasure. Great.